but we're talking about new beginnings, talking about in the beginning. In the beginning, before there was a Genesis 1, before there was a heavens and the earth, before there was even light and dark, there was God. And he was having a conversation with himself. So before there was anything, there was a conversation. There was actually a relationship. It's going to get a little theologically weird, but there was the Trinity before there was anything else. God in the form of three individual persons. The Father, the Son, Logos, which we talked about last week, and the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus made anything for him and through him, he was having, they were all having a conversation, and they, so guess what they were talking about? They were talking about you before they created you, before there was anything. They had you in mind. They had this thing called the church in mind. They wanted, the conversation probably went something like this. God talking to himself. God the Father is saying to the Holy Spirit, wouldn't it be a great idea if we created a people, a group that we could make in our own image that could look like us, act like us, speak like us, think like us. And since we are so incredibly creative, they can, we'll even give them the ability to create. And then the Godhead goes into this conversation of talking about what the possibilities could be, how amazing his children could be, which is us. He actually sees us as actually being amazing. What do you think? Do you feel like you're amazing? So before the creation, before the very foundation of time, we were in God's mind. What? What? Before time existed, God was thinking about you. One of them came up with this brilliant idea. It was probably Jesus, Logos. He says, I think that um, we should create our children to have free will. We actually empower them with the same type of power that we have to choose. Because, Holy Spirit, God the Father, we don't want to just create somebody that's a robot that's forced to love us in return, do we? And they said, no, that wouldn't be a very good idea, now would it? So let's create something so unique, something so special that it can actually choose to return our love to us or they can choose not to. We can make something completely free and creative in our image. And do you understand the risk that the Godhead took in making something so unique as yourself? Because you actually have the ability to choose or not to choose love in return. That's pretty cool. Like this free will thing is absolutely amazing and but in the same breath, it's extremely costly. The Bible tells us that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. So when they came up with this brilliant eye to make us to love God in return, they knew that their creation made in their image would not, not all of us, would choose to love him in return. 
What are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with your creation that chooses not to love you anymore? Or that chooses to even think that you don't even exist? God's creation, some of them have chosen to believe that he doesn't even exist. What are we supposed to do with it? And then Logos, Jesus has a brilliant idea. He says, I know, I know what we can do. I can fix it before we even start. I will die for them. I will take their place. I will come into their time. I will come into their creation. I will even take their form so that we can make everything right. We will be the savior of all of our creation and they will, be, have, they will have the ability to choose and love us back. It's, a, it's an amazing idea. A lot of us have chosen to accept our creator into our heart. And it's, a lot of us get it. A lot of us are so incredibly blessed by our, our faith in Jesus. Like somewhere along the line, we stepped across and we chose Jesus. We chose to return the love. He first loved us, and we chose to return that love. And I was like, it's too good to be true. But our choices don't stop there. Each and every moment, each and every second, we are faced with a choice. Right now, you're probably thinking to yourself, where in the world is Joshua going with this? And you could choose to run out real quick, right? Or you can choose to sit and stay. You can choose to check out. You can choose to get on your phone. You are faced with a choice every moment. And God, God the Father, and, and, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, like when you make a good choice, they celebrate. They're like, oh my goodness, Josh finally did something right. Okay, not exactly like that. Not exactly that parent behavior, but no, they like, yes, we're going in the right direction. Bit by bit, they're making better choices. Bit by bit, they are, they are incorporating our righteousness into their life. And they're becoming healthy, and they're becoming mature, and they're growing, and they're choosing right decisions and right thoughts and right actions and right words. And I would say that choosing, well, how many people have a hard time choosing what comes out of your mouth? Yeah, I got Krista is the only one that's being honest this morning. We just, yes. Hey, Krista. You ever, you ever do this? you like, you say things and it comes out of your mouth and then you're like, wish that you could grab the words and stick them back in your mouth. Yeah. Last week, we talked about our divine language. We talked about the power of the words. They have the power to kill, and they have the power to, to heal. Our words are very powerful. We have to watch what we say and how we say it. But obviously, they can, they can hurt, and they can destroy, and they can breed in negativity, not only into our own hearts, but even to the hearts of everybody around us. You start saying negative stuff, and it's going to infect not only your heart, but everybody else's heart. And this is what we have to get as, as believers, as God's creation, in the mind of God, in the mind of Christ. We have to get that we need to begin to create something positive with our very words. But it has to be spoken. Like the truth 
needs to be declared. You have to speak these things into existence because they won't take place unless it comes out. There has to be an action, and the action is usually spoken. You can roll up your sleeves and you can get stuff done, but if there's no life that is spoken, spoken into a creation, then it has no life in it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. He was with God from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, God spoke. Jesus spoke creation into existence. He didn't form it like with his hands like the other gods did. He didn't use lightning or anything weird like that. He didn't like, I don't know, all kinds of really weird creation myths. No, our God spoke matter into existence. That's so cool. And we are in his image. We get the opportunity to speak life into existence. Things that don't exist, we can actually use our mouth to get it to exist. Here's, I think, where we maybe get into some confusion because we are people of faith and we think that what goes on between our ears is good enough. But I'll tell you something. In advancing the kingdom of God, Jedi mind tricks don't work. You just can't sit there and just have enough faith that I'm going to concentrate and then it's going to take place. No, us as believers, we have to speak it into existence. It starts in the spirit. It starts with God's vision. And then it, then it begins to develop into a right thinking pattern, having the mind of Christ. But if it doesn't get spoken into existence, then it doesn't happen. It doesn't get created. So let's just move beyond Jedi mind tricks and let's just begin to use our mouth to create. And let's be mindful of what comes out. So last week we took a look at the idea of speaking life or speaking death into individuals, and into ourselves. So I figured if God has the privilege or if he can talk to himself, right? God talks to himself, right? He had the conversation before creation, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I think we should be able to talk to ourselves too. And you do it and you don't even realize it half the time. We're talking to ourselves and we're beating ourselves up and we're saying and declaring negative things. So we'll start there because we've got to fix this. We've got to fix this pattern of beating ourselves up. We've got to, we've got to fix this pattern of, of wrong identity. So get your Bibles out. We're going to look at Judges chapter 6. This is the story of Gideon. He was a judge before the time of the kings. God revealed himself to specific leaders to save his people. They needed leadership. They didn't have kings. And so he just kind of cherry-picked them throughout the nation and throughout individual clans. And the people of God, once again, this vicious cycle, you know, they turned away from God. They got, they got delivered out of slavery. They got set free here and set free there. And then, then they just went back into old ways of thinking, and they began to spiral down. And before they know it, they're back into slavery. Like, how'd this happen? How did I get oppressed all of a sudden? Wait a minute, I thought we were saved. I thought we were delivered out of Egypt. How did I get back into Egypt? Right? How did I get back here? I thought I had victory over this. Chapter 6, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, ready? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
The, the Old Testament is an encounter book. The, actually, the entire book is an encounter book. It's not just a rule book. It's not just a behave well book. It's not a history book. It is an encounter book. And the greatest encounters are in the Old Testament, but actually it gets even better because we transfer from individuals encountering God at specific times to New Testament revelation where we have the opportunity to encounter God all the time. It's a little bit different. It's not a vision, visitation theology anymore. You know what I mean by that? No, he's, he's visiting you right now. We just don't perceive it yet. But this is different. Gideon gets visited by God. And God says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. All right, you love this one? But, but, sir, he doesn't actually get who's talking to him yet. Um, this is something we needed to begin to develop because God's speaking to us through cell phones. And we need to turn them off. Okay. <laughs> and we understand that God's speaking to us. We think it's something else, but his voice is very specific. But Gideon doesn't get that. I don't know why God chose Gideon. I guess that's the best that he could do. I wouldn't have chosen him. Anyway, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why, have all, uh, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of, the, of Midian back into slavery. So God, if you're real, if you're with us, if you're with me, why are all these bad things happening? God, if you're really real, then why can't I pay my mortgage? God, if you're really real, then why is my body sick? God, if you're really real, then why do I have all these relationship problems? That's because you're crazy. Never mind. Never mind. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Have you done this? I've done this. Well, I got it. Like I signed up to be blessed and I'm not being blessed. You delivered me from this, so why did it come back? Why am I back in bondage? So, does this look familiar? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength. You have, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Am I not sending you? So God responds to Gideon's, but you say, God, that you're amazing, but you're not, well, it's not my experience right now. Huh? And God's response is, go in the strength that you have, and he ups it. First, he says that you're a mighty warrior. Second, he says that you are going to be a savior. Go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that I've given you. Ready? Verse 15. But, Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? 
my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh was probably the weakest out of all the tribes. And I am the least in my family. Do you see what he's doing? He's beating himself up. He is aligning himself with what the enemy thinks about him and not what God thinks about him. He's making up incredible excuses. They're actually a little bit outlandish. How can this possibly be, God? How could I possibly be a mighty warrior? How could I possibly be the savior of a nation when I'm part of the, the dumbest tribe and the weakest family and I am the runt of the litter? And you, what? So she's just making up excuses. And, he's, and again, he's just tearing himself down. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down the Midianites together. Here's the amazing thing about God's response. Basically, he just ignores him. Does God address his complaining? Does God address his identity? Does God say, oh, poor Gideon, I know you feel lousy about yourself. Let's work on your problems. Yeah, you see that? He doesn't say that. God doesn't say, let's just work on your insecurity. Let's work on your insecure man. No, he just keeps on raising the bar. He just ignores Gideon's complaining. He ignores Gideon's whining. He completely ignores his identity as being the weakest of the weak. I think that's amazing. I do this with my own child when she starts whining. I just completely ignore her. I tune her out. Is that just me? This is a spiritual gift. You should do it. No, seriously. You should do this. I'm, a, I'm an expert at tuning things out. I can tune my kid out when she's whining. I can tune my wife out. Guys, I can show you how to do this. It's a skill. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm taking it too far, huh? You see, whenever we begin to whine at God and complain at God and say, God, you're not fair. God, you said this, but this is my experience. Once we begin to begin that dialogue and that language, um, like his only response is just to ignore it because he can't work with that. There's no faith in it. And it's not his language. It's almost as if he doesn't even understand what you're saying. See, He's not here to highlight and magnify and put on a pedestal your sins and your failings. He hits it once, right? It's like, we all know we're sinners, right? Newsflash. It's true. Like in this church, the building should have fallen on us a long time ago. Hmm? He's going to show us our failure and our weakness in one setting. But Jesus says, it is finished. And you are no longer a sinner. We're moving you into sainthood. It, it's a process. This process could take a minute or it could take your entire lifetime. But you get to choose how long your redemptive process and moving yourself into sainthood is going to take. You get to choose that. You can just say, stay saved, you're good to go, 
or you can continue to mature and to grow and advance into the mighty warrior, the mighty princess that God has designed you to be. We get to choose this. Uh, what we don't see implicitly in what we just read is that most likely Gideon was a full-blown pagan. Let me show you what he does. Usually we have the tendency to do exactly what our parents do, although this was a Jewish nation. Uh, this is verse 22. When Gideon finally realized who, was, who he was talking to, that it was the angel of the Lord. Okay, you know who the angel of the Lord is? Most of the time, when the Old Testament is talking about the angel of the Lord, it's some type of a mystical revelation of Jesus himself. So this could have quite possibly have been Jesus himself talking to Gideon. And finally, Gideon gets it. It's like the light bulb popped on and Gideon quit complaining. He quit being anxious about his situation. And he says, oh, man, oh, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And usually when you see God face to face, what does that mean? That means you vaporize. But the Lord said to him, peace, don't be afraid. You are not going to die. Uh, down to verse 25. And at that night, after this revelation that Gideon has, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old. Okay, this is the important part. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Okay, it's a big bull. It's the noises and, and the... Um, the other family, I forgot their name. Anyway, they were just in New York. And in New York, there's a big giant altar to the stock market in the form of the bull. And this is the same guy, by the way. It is, now if you, if you play the stock market, you're okay. But if that is your God, then there's a problem. If there's, a, if there's greed attached to your success, then, you're, then, then this is, you need to tear this down. It's the same thing. Baal was a fertility god. It was this god of success and God providing, or not God providing, but just like I want more and I want to be successful and I want money. And so there was greed attached to this. And so God tells Gideon, tear down your father's altar to money and cut down the Asherah pole that's beside it. The Asherah pole basically is the ancient equivalent to a stripper pole. And I'm not saying that for shock value. That's what it really, I mean, that's actually toned down. So there's two major strongholds in this family, greed and perversion. And Gideon is called to tear down those things in his family. He actually has to choose to undo his family's dysfunction. And he goes after it and he does it. Isn't that cool? He says, no, we're not going to think this way anymore. We're going to begin to develop a kingdom mindset. We have a perverted idea about what success is in my family. We're tearing that ball down. We have this perverted idea of what pleasure is. We're tearing the pole down. 
no longer going to have any power in our family anymore. And he does it. It's cool. Then he goes and gets himself ready. Um, after this statement, after this declaration, basically he pulls a Joshua. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. His whole identity begins to change. His whole thought process begins to change. He has this revelation of who Jesus is before Jesus was born in the nativity. He's beginning to get it, and guess what? His language changes. His language changes from saying dumb things like, I am the least of my family, of the, of the least of the tribes, and you know, I'm, I'm unworthy, I'm a worm, so I'm an idiot. He, he stops talking that way, and then he begins to say things like this to his people, to himself. He says, get up. The Lord has given the enemy to us. We can do it. And then this is what's even more amazing. Verse 17. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. There was a transformation that happened in his identity. He, become, he became the warrior. He didn't think that he was the warrior. He became the warrior. And then he began to speak it out as not only as if he actually believed it. He wasn't thinking really hard to make it happen. He spoke it out. Follow me. Do what I do. Guys, we can do it. There's only 300 of us. Because God got rid of everybody else. Because they all had stinking thinking. I need guys that can work hard and figure these things out. Get up. Follow me. Do what I do. And a good 2,000 years later, uh, 1,500 years later, the Apostle Paul says the same thing. He says, you need to do what I do. You need to follow my lead. You need to begin to think differently about yourself. You need to take on the mind of Christ. You need to have a new vision for your life. And more importantly, you need to begin to speak these things into existence. Do what I do. Say what I say. Until you become it. Yeah? Put it into practice until you become it. You're not holy right now. Start doing holy things until you become holy. You're not spiritual right now. Start practicing spiritual disciplines. You're doing it right now because you're sitting in church listening to me. Good for you. That's step one. Sabbath is an amazing discipline that we all need to take to heart. All right, second verse that we're going to look at. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 8. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. What would Gideon say? But I am the least in my family. I'm the least in my tribe. I'm a big loser. I can't do it. No, don't be anxious about that. Do not be anxious about anything. And like, Paul. Have you seen my life? 
Apostle Paul, what are you talking about? Don't be anxious. Do you know what I'm going through right now, Paul? If you were going through what I'm going through, you would be anxious. I have the right to be anxious. I earned this right to worry. I've been done wrong, Paul. If only you would understand what I'm going through, you would be anxious too. And that is just a big giant lie because Paul was beaten. He was tortured. Paul was poor. Paul was rich. Paul had no friends. Paul had a lot of friends. Paul learned the secret to be content in each and every circumstance. And he's telling us that we can do it too. He is saying that you should not be anxious in any situation. If Paul can do it, you can do it too. An anxious, free life is God's will for you. We don't have to be anxious ever again. We can begin to develop this thing where we get out of worry, where we quit being a Gideon and whining and complaining, where we allow God to transform us up into a higher level, a higher state of living, a higher consciousness. That's what God's called his church into. We can do it. We can be like Paul. There are people on the planet, I'm getting close, there are people on the planet that have no anxiety because they let Jesus rule in their life. That's something to work towards. That's a goal to hit, to get rid of anxiety, negativity, worry, depression. We don't have to live there. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, okay, you can do this. You guys have your Bibles out? I mean, seriously, mark this. You need to follow along. By prayer and petition, make your request known to God. What did I skip? With thanksgiving. Do you see how easy it is to, to skip over that part? I can't tell you how long I've been trying to memorize this. In each and every time, it seems as if I skip the linchpin to the whole thing, which is thanksgiving. We don't go into God's presence with thanksgiving enough. David figured this out. You enter into his his gates with what? With thanksgiving and into the courts and to the innermost with prayer. And what God is saying, what David figured out, what Paul knew, what we should all get is that we cannot put the horse before the cart in our prayer life. We have to say, I, 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 I don't, I am thankful. My body's sick. I have this weird disease. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But I choose to be thankful, and I am thankful that I'm sucking air right now. This needs to be the mindset that we begin to get. The bank is taking my house. I'm in foreclosure. I am an anxious disaster. Bible would tell us you need to be thankful for that 24 hours that you have the roof over your head before they evict you. That's the mentality. That's the, that's the mindset. Don't be anxious about anything. See, thanksgiving, gratitude, 
is the language of heaven. And if we don't have it, we're not going to pray right. We're not going to ask God in the right way. Our petitions and our prayers won't be received because they're going to be coming from our old person and not our new person until we move it into thanksgiving. That's why I asked you to write down on your little tear-off card, what are you thankful for? We have a lot to be thankful for, and you need to find it. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, if I've ever prayed for you, you've probably heard this one. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, all circumstances, all situations, everything, this is what fixes it. God can fix your situation. The peace of God going to transcend everything and it's going to guard your heart your innermost being basically the holy spirit is going to speak to your spirit and it is the well spring of life this is where that holy water bubbles up with inside of you it's going to guard that the peace of god is going to guard your heart and your mind in christ jesus Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, or praiseworthy, think about those things. But Pastor Josh, Uncle Bob is an alcoholic, and I hate his guts. He's a disgusting individual. I told you I was going to bring Uncle Bob back. That's the truth, Josh. He's an alcoholic, right? That might be truth, but is That might be true, but it's not truth. And there's a difference. It's true that that is the experience. It's true that that is the addiction. It is true that you're going through a hard time. But truth is that Jesus is living inside of you, and he sees you differently than you see yourself. Truth is is that Uncle Bob, with prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, he can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He can make the choice just as well as you can. And he needs your prayers. And he needs you to speak life into him. So instead of calling him an alcoholic, you do what God does, and you call him a mighty warrior. And maybe you just need to, like, literally do that. Maybe that might be too much. But maybe you could say, you know, Uncle Bob, you're a man of God. I I see it on you, and I see it in you. That's what you need to aspire to, Uncle Bob. Like this alcoholic thing, that's not who you are. And deep down inside, you know that. You are so much more. You see? That's how it all works. So here's the challenge. Here's the practical application Whatever is lovely, think about such things. 
Uncle Bob is lovely in God's eyes, and we need to begin to think of them in those ways. Ready for this one? You are pure in God's eyes, and you need to begin to think about yourself from that position. You need to begin to speak pure thoughts over yourself, on yourself, on those that are around you. Like, that's what needs to be infectious. And I know how hard it is. Because I'm a, I don't commute. Come on, are you kidding me? I drive to church. That's about it. And I'm like, I have the right to have road rage because I drive 15 minutes to work. Like, oh, I know. Everybody's like, <laughs> right? Like, oh, my God. Like, it's a, UCLA not too long ago, like, what? I'm like, I'm going to quit complaining about my commute. So I, God loves you commuters. You can do it. You can do all things to Christ that gives you strength, including that three-hour commute. Guy, guy, I got a special place in my heart for you now. So, you know, my little, my little confession is that when I'm in my car, this is the litmus test of what's going on in my heart, like things come out of my mouth that won't come out here from the pulpit, right? The, the amount, I can curse somebody to hell in my car, and I can get up on the pulpit and I can preach you know, love and grace. It's like, what is going on? And I've chosen to check my mouth. I've chosen, because God has given me free will, to have control, self-control, discipline over my tongue because James, the book of James says that, that the tongue is a rudder and is an indicator of the soul. So I check what it comes out of my mouth. Other confession. I like rock and roll and I like it a lot and I'm probably not going to stop listening to it. But I have to watch what I sing along with. Because I like the tune. Like, you ever hear that dumb excuse? I just like the beat. And then, you know, they're saying horrible things. Right? I'm just going to sing along. I don't actually believe what I'm singing. But I'm telling you, if you sing it over and over and over enough, if you begin to practice those lyrics, you will become those lyrics. I love Radiohead, but I can't sing that creep song anymore because it says, I'm a creep, I'm a loser, right? What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here, right? Why would I want to sing that over myself? That's how the enemy wants me to think about myself. The enemy wants me to think that I'm a creep, but God wants me to think that I'm a saint. So just be careful. You, like The airwaves are dangerous. The airwaves are the devil's playground, and it's not just the radio. It's not just MTV, but it's also news. And it's the internet. And it's Facebook. And it's everything. It's all around. You can't get away from it. Just monitor. Like, if you find your, like, I, another confession, I like, the, I'm a news junkie. I listen to the news way too much. And then when I feel myself getting angry about politics, when, I, when I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call up my liberal friend in college. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind right now. Once I begin to beginning to argue about things, whose territory, whose playground is that is? Is it lovely? Is it beautiful? Is it admirable? Is it true? Is it truth? Oh, I'm just going to call him up. I'm going to speak. Have you heard this one? I'm going to speak the truth in love. You ever heard that? Have you ever had anybody speak the truth in love to you? 
All right, for those of you that haven't been around church, that's code for you're going to get beat up. Speak the truth in love. Whatever. Come on. All right. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so if we're going to take this scripture literally, if you are going to speak the truth in love, that means that you are speaking to the Jesus that is in the individual. And when you have a conversation with Jesus, it better be honest. And when you're speaking the truth, not something that is true, what might be true is you're a slob. But what truth is, now Jesus is inside of you and you're becoming a new creation and I can see it. So truly speaking the truth in love means that you will edify whoever you're talking to. So if somebody speaks the truth in love and you feel like trash, you feel tear down, guess what? It wasn't from God. If you weren't encouraged, it's a manipulation of the scripture. All right, let me get the band to come to the front. As they're on their way up, the practical take-home. I want you to get the Philippians 4, 8 inside of you. Again, we can, we can learn it. We can think about it. We can concentrate really hard on God breaking through, but it's not going to happen until we do what Paul did and we do what Gideon did and we begin to practice it. So practice. It starts with thinking. And then Paul says, you have to do what I do. You actually have to speak it. So you need to call somebody lovely this week. You need to, you need to find the purity in somebody. You need to find what is right in somebody and not what is wrong. You need to change your language from your old self into a divine language. What would God say? And then say it. You can do it. You can banish all anxiety from just applying the word of God today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. God, we enter into your courts and we enter into your gates with thanksgiving so that we can come into your courts with praise. God, forgive us for speaking ill and evil of other people. God, forgive us for, putting our, for aligning ourselves to the airwaves that say that we're trash and that we're creeps and that we're weirdos. No, God, we are created in your image from the very foundation of time itself. You had a vision for our lives, and we want to be in your will. So bless us, Lord.